Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. frolicking in the sun hope springs eternal everybody's in the best shape of their life bob nutting over the last couple of weeks hanging out by the batting cages with brian reynolds before he goes off and makes comments about how the cba is terrible and this billionaire can't afford to field the major league baseball team well then sell it for crying out loud to somebody who can it's bucks in the basement how are you my friend doing pretty good man yeah those comments that he made were i mean goofy to say the least saying that he didn't he he didn't really agree that everything favored the pirates but he didn't want to hold stuff up by voting against it well you had to have an ownership group of like what did we say like eight owners for it to be turned down so well I now mean, i feel just, now i feel like he was one of the eight at the beginning right like with those comments don't you feel confident that when we saw that initial delay that that took away the first week of the season Bob Nutting probably was one of the owners that they had to move over to the other side. Cause he, the way he talked, it sounded like he was so upset about it. And he finally only signed off because he didn't want the season to go away. He was probably one of those owners in those first few votes when they were like, why can't we get this deal done? That didn't want to agree to it. That definitely seems like that that would be the case. And to me, I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's he's not a great speaker. We all know this. So, so instead of him just basically either. saying, <laughs> instead of him just basically saying, "Yeah, I was against it," and I, you know, gave into it, he just says that, "Yeah, it kind of wasn't so great for the pirates, and nothing really benefited us." But you know, I didn't want to hold things up. It's it's a very goofy way, and. I mean, anything that he says during this spring training is it's not going to come out well. Like him standing in front of the the team, giving the you know state of the Pirates address like he does at the beginning of every spring training. I mean, at least this time he actually spoke with reporters at some point after that. But I mean, until the the payroll goes up and until the Pirates keep winning or start winning, I should say everybody's going to have the same opinion in nutting. And even if they do start winning and the payroll goes up, some people are still going to make the same comments about him. It's just a very, just a very weird statement to make on him. Well, here's, here's the thing. I I don't buy it anymore. I'm sorry, Bob. In fact, I never bought it. I mean, let's be honest. We've always said we don't buy it. I've always said, look at the guy's net worth. Look at, look at what other billionaires spend on their team. 
I, I, you know, Major League Baseball gives money to the Pirates with the revenue sharing. He gets extra money. What is he doing with it for crying out loud, right? I mean, he's, he, is some, he is a cheap, cheap guy. And, and, and the only thing I've ever said is that whoever the general manager is, this, and at this point it's Ben Charrington, you know, he has to understand who his owner is and then act accordingly when building a team. I, I separate them out. I say, look, the owner's bad for the team. The owner doesn't spend any money. The owner's a miser. The owner throws around nickels like their manhole covers. But it's very hard to replace an owner, folks. So then when you're trying to look at the team, you go, can the general manager work within the constraint, the, the constraints of the owner? And that's how I kind of separate them out. But Bob Nunning is, yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I don't get it. When I, when I could see the San Diego Padres do what they did, over the last couple of years with the signings they made and then extending Machado to a ridiculous amount of years and money. That's a team that was getting help like the Pirates were getting. That's very similar in terms of the audience base as the Pittsburgh Pirates that decided you have to spend money to make money. And then Rob Manfred says recently, I think this week, at some point, possibly this year, they're going to go from being a team that receives money during the revenue sharing to one that pays in because they're making so much money. Bob Nutting is, is a, a billionaire that could be a 10 time billionaire if he just had any business sense. And hopefully the, the great Padres experiment starts to show some of these owners that if you spend money you make money because there's no difference really in what's going on in San Diego than what could go on here in Pittsburgh. If you had a forward thinking owner that invested back into his team and understood if you build it, they will come. Pittsburgh's a great sports town. And the idea that the Pirates constantly concede to the idea of, well, nobody really cares about us because of the Steelers is a real cop-out that I'm sick of listening to. It's definitely a cop-out. And, and the thing with uh, the, the Padres, and I even look at like the St. Louis Cardinals, as the way that they not only build their team, but build, I guess it would be a... Well, I know St. Louis, it's a, it's a ballpark village, uh, with, uh, San Diego, it's, it's very similar. And, and they brought in, you know, all these, they made it a destination place to go and hang out and they took ownership in that. So they were able to, you know, make some money off of number one, San Diego is, is they have a hundred percent, hundred percent ownership rights of all the parking around their stadium. The Pirates have zero. Ballpark Village, St. Louis has ownership in that. All of the stuff that was built on the North Shore that's, that's absolutely great, you know, Shorty's Pints and Pins and, and Tequila Cowboy and, and all that stuff. Like, the Pirates have no stock or no ownership in the parking, in anything. So, it, as far as, like, a business sense as as well, to me, it's like, well, you kind of dropped the ball when all of that stuff was was coming about and you didn't invest in that and actually be the one that's on the front end of that. Now that's not where all the money comes for, you know, St. Louis, and, and but it, but it, but it makes sense to do it. I mean, let's think about what teams have done when new ownership has moved in that Bob Nutting didn't do uh, at any point here. You, you got the Chicago Cubs when the Rickeses came in, looked at a ballpark that was falling apart. They concrete coming off of the second level into the first level, and they put nets above the people to protect them from the falling <laughs> building, right? That's how bad it was when the Wrigley uh, uh, company owned it, when the Tribune company owned it, right? So 
then the Ricketts come in and first they got to fix the ballpark because it's a cathedral and we've got to keep it for the history and everything else and blah, blah, blah. But then what they also did is they started buying up property around it and they started working with the city council and they started coming up with a plan for a little village and now they have one and they use that park constantly for all kinds of other events and they are generating more revenue as a result. And, and, and there was a lot of teams that do that. The Texas Rangers, when they built their ballpark years ago, were one of the first to do that. They basically put a parking lot around that stadium and then put bars that they owned along the side of it. Now, not everybody can get away with that. You know, I know, I know the Pirates don't have as much room around where they're at. All right, fine. But look at the High Line and the fact you can walk across the river there and all the businesses that moved in right on the other side of it. And you got breweries moving in there and you got it, it building up. You missed the ball on that one, Bob. You could have you you found places to invest a little bit more to build more of a baseball village. There's no forethought, right? Again, a billionaire that could be ten, worth 10 times more if, if, he just, if he just thought a little bit ahead. Maybe he could hire a consultant from a team that actually makes money and ask him, how do you make money? Remember in Moneyball? Where, where the Billy Bean character, the Brad Pitt character walks in and goes, who are you? You seem to know what you're doing. I'm hiring you away from this team so you can tell me what I'm doing wrong. Bob, it's time to start get, doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and getting those investments. I mean, we're, we do have a new scoreboard, which is something this stadium has sorely needed for the past like 10, 15 years. Right, you're one of the last to get it, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but at least at least we will get to see our team lose in in high definition. Again, I still think that this team is going to make some noise. They're they're going to make I, some noise. I would love to see them get off early in, in in the race and be respectable. And at some point, of course, it'll start to fall off. But it'd be great if they could just jump in there, make some noise, uh, be closer to 500, and start to move in a winning direction. And, and you know, again, that's the GM separate from the owner. I want the owner to spend money so the GM's job is easier. I just know that the owner won't, right? So, I mean, like, it, it, I would love it. If, if I woke up tomorrow and Bob Nutting had sold the team, celebration, streamers, champagne, drinking bourbon. I mean, it'd be a, it'd be a grand thing. I just don't think that it's going to happen in a while. But it is kind of crazy. You could see other teams go out and find ways to create more revenue streams, build their team up. And, again, you look at the Padres, they were getting paid – now they're going to be paying other teams because of how much money that they're making. Bob, you're failing. If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the Y that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand, Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online 
at WW Shop Yins, the emphasis on the two Zs, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. Now we have to turn to, you know, what we're watching on our, our TV screens. And I know you went in the beginning, Chris, with like the hope springs eternal and this guy's in the best shape of his life. But over these first few games, I mean, I, I feel like there are some things and, and little inklings of what the manager's giving us as to how this, you know, team will be constructed and how players will be deployed, you know, moving into, you know, the first few weeks of the season. And the biggest one, and it kind of just came out, you know, yesterday because people asked him, asked Derek Shelton, you know, the first two games, you got Brian Reynolds over there and left, you got uh, – Jack Sawinski in center and it's just like yeah that's something we could probably see more often than not you know as as the season progresses and for me I mean I think I was you know when it's like when Starling Marte was still here and we were thinking could Brian Reynolds you know take over center field and he did have you know some attributes some athleticism enough to be able to do that he had a very uh, good season by certain, you know, analytics, but still has not done very well. I mean, the two main analytics that are used for outfielders is defensive runs saved and outs above average. And, you know, I wish that there was an easier way to explain each of these, but I mean, it's, it's comparing them you know, against the rest of the league. The outs above average is like the number of outs above average that you have compared to everybody else in your position. Defensive run saved is, I mean, influenced by if you're able to throw out a guy at second base, the airs. I mean, it puts all of these these metrics into there. And, and Brian Reynolds last year had possibly, I mean, one of the most horrendous <laughs> defensive seasons that anybody could have probably even imagined from him in center field. Negative seven, outs above average. And then you go over to the defensive run saved, and it doesn't get any better. But the, the defensive run saved were were just as bad kind of during the previous season. So you're saying it's a good thing. It's a good defensive move to move him out of center field? Yeah, yeah, because 2021... So I could put was, away my tinfoil hat that uh, that the team is putting him in left field because it makes him less valuable? Because it does. I mean, there was just a thing that went out there that, where they were talking about the, the signing of uh, of Nimmo. Remember the Mets outfielder who could play center field? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the idea that he was worth a lot more because it's very hard to find center fielders that can hit out there. But if he... And so my first reaction was, well, of course you got to move him to left field. You make him less valuable. But now when you point it out, eh, maybe it's a defensive liability to keep him out in center field. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, I was going to look like it's 2021, negative five defensive runs saved. Last year, negative 14 defensive runs saved out there in center field. And and yes, I mean, for one thing, it's it's nice to have what you have is one of your, you probably your, he's like your most veteran outfielder. I mean, other than McCutcheon when he's out there on those days playing center field, but if his athleticism isn't going to, you know, it's at some point in time, you have to make decisions to make your team better, not just to either appease, you know, your players or to, I mean, in this ways, you know, make him more valuable. I, I, 
I don't know. I, I think that they don't look at things that way. They, they look at the analytics of what is going to make you be able to put your best team on the field. And Jack Sawinski, by statistical metrics, is is a better center fielder. What What's the biggest uh, um, battle you think right now in spring training? Like, who are you watching right now that you're sitting there going, I wonder if this guy can make the team, you know, or this guy could get knocked off the team? Because, you know, I mean, that's always my most fun thing to do at this time of year, right? I mean, you're going to get somebody who just jumps out the first couple days. But in, in reality, like, I love looking for positional battles. Like, right now, is there one that you're, that you're watching more than anything else? Rodolfo Castro and G1 Bay. I mean, it's for second base. It seems to be, you know, one of the, the bigger battles that has kind of emerged just because – um, when we had Rob Beer Temple on, you know, a few weeks ago, he had said that, you know, in one of his articles that they would be looking at G1 Bay to see if, you know, they would want him to play a little bit more outfield, a little bit more infield. And they wanted to, you know, kind of centralize him in that. A lot of people were putting him in center field because he had played a few games and does have the athleticism to do so. But Charrington and them, they'd said that they want to kind of, you know, not spread him out as much and, and to get him into and, and seeing him defensively at, at second base. I mean, even with the new shift restrictions and everything he made, um, I can't remember. I think it was, it was yesterday. We're recording here on Tuesday, but it would have been the game on, on Monday made a couple of nice little plays, you know, even with those shift, shift restriction coming, you know, in front of, and then behind second base to kind of like and throw across his body make a few nice plays out there he doesn't have the raw power that Rodolfo Castro has but in showing right now a little bit better of a fielder and definitely a a more hit to contact kind of guy so that's like one that's really emerging there I don't know what they would do if he would push Rodolfo Castro out I would still see Rodolfo Castro on you know, the roster, uh, Rodolfo Castro plays, you know, second base and third base, but, you know, really not a whole lot else. Would you be able to get him enough at bats off of the bench? Uh, G1 Bay can play shortstop and second base as well as the outfield. I mean, I feel like there's a way that they could kind of both, I don't know if it would be win the battle, but split the battle. And then G1 Bay could get enough at bats, you know, playing all over the field. Well, listen, here's the thing. Jiwan Bay, if he's better defensively, and I'm looking at the two of them at the plate, I actually almost kind of lean towards Bay. And the reason I do that is because when I just go and take a look at their run through the minors, I see a, a much better weighted runs created is WRC plus from level to level for Bay over Castro. And he had a very small sample size, but in his small sample size was very productive when he was at the plate. Okay. His WRC plus was, which is basically a way, a metric of trying to figure out, you know, is he getting on base? Well, you know, I think uh, Carlos Correa explained this perfectly in the offseason. He was, somebody asked him about it on MLB tonight and he was breaking it down. And I know a lot of people don't get into the deep saber metrics. So I, I always try to, to, to say it in the simplest forms. But what he was trying to say was really your WRC plus is measuring that when I'm in a slump, do I take more pitches and at least work my way on? Or am I am I wearing down the pitcher? And am I, you know, when I'm hot, am I taking advantage of it? And when I'm cold, am I walking more? 
and, and and it makes me more of a consistent hitter. And that's like the main thing that I look at. And that that came from Correa when he was trying to explain how he looks at that stat and what it means to him. And when I look at Bay, I just see more consistency in what he produces. And when you look at the very small sample size that he had in the majors, he did better. Now, I don't know how that translates out to 162, but if he has a big spring, he'll be the second baseman, I think. And I think you're right, though. Castro stays on the bench. He's not going anywhere. It'll just be interesting to see who's getting the majority of at-bats. They're both probably going to break camp with the team, I think. So, But the only question is, do you want to give a guy like Bay an opportunity and give him a couple of months? I, you might lean that way. If he's hot in spring training, whoever's hot, let him go. But when you let him go, don't be like two days here and one day here in this platoon thing. Let your guys go. I've complained about that a lot during this rebuild. When you're trying to uh, decide which guy's better for the long term, you, you've got to plug them in and let them make their mistakes and go through a bad week without pulling them out and then making them, you know, you're in the lineup, you're out of the lineup. Consistency and knowing that you're going to be there every day for a little while breeds success. And so that's what I hope that they're doing. They're going to identify it in spring training, but when they come up with their opening day lineup, that opening day lineup is playing more times than not. Yeah, and, and the other one that, you know, kind of sticks out in my mind as far as the positional battles is whether or not they are going to keep what I would see as a, a fifth outfielder. Because <laughs> right now, <laughs> I mean, you have, you have McCutcheon and you have Joe as your two, you know, right-handed options. You have Reynolds and Sawinski. And I could see them just kind of rotating um, with, you know, McCutcheon, I think, taking, you know, more DH at bats. Connor Joe, I see him. I didn't know exactly where he was going to fit in, especially with like, you know, McCutcheon and before, you know, Miguel Anjuarco and, and and all this. I just didn't know. But right now, I mean, uh, he can also, I keep on bringing up, he can also play first base. So you're looking at that, you know, positional flexibility and he's like one of those veteran guys that we have kind of talked about, like throughout this off season, Chris, that if, you know, if you don't get him quote unquote regular at bats or like every day at bats, I don't think it'll have as much effect on him. Cause he's more of a, I wouldn't say, I don't know if it's established professional hitter or just a, a more seasoned, you know, professional hitter. And he should be able to adjust to that a little bit better, but Looking at the outfield, I mean, there's so many different names, but number one, Cal Mitchell, and I know it's just the first few games, but even going into last year, just doesn't look like he can play the outfield position. The guy is is one of our best hitters, and he was within the minors last year, but he also doesn't have enough pop in the bat to be like a DH. I, I think that at the end of last season, I said, you know, get that man a first base glove to see if we can, you know, find another position for him. Cause he just he just doesn't play decision wise, arm wise, you know. I, I think that he he had caught a ball during this uh spring training games and he went to switch it to his hand and just completely dropped the ball. I mean it was just try to make a play in the outfield, end up running into the wall after turning himself around. And I know there's the winds and stuff in Bradenton but he just doesn't look comfortable in the outfield. So it's, it's like, want to see what happens with him. You know, Caden Smith and Jigba coming back from an injury. I don't know if we're going to get to see enough from him, Travis Swaggerty. If, so that's where it's like, 
I, I could almost see them, you know, keeping a, a on the bench, keeping say say Rodolfo Castro wins the job, keeping a Bay and a Tucapita Marcano, like two guys that could play infield and outfield as opposed to, you know, somebody that's strictly an outfielder, especially when, I mean, you have with McCutcheon, I would say three and a half outfielders because McCutcheon over the past few years has DH'd more than he's played the field. And I, I would look for that to continue. You know, versatility is so important. It's be It's been a trend over the last many years here in Major League Baseball. And even now with, even though you added that, that 26 man, right? When you add the 26 man, you restricted it to 13 positional players and 13 pitchers. And you couldn't just play around with it and be like, oh, we're going to take 12 pitchers and have 14 players and have a deep bench. It, it doesn't work that way anymore. So, it, you know, you're right. I think the versatility would make me think that Marcano could be could be joining Bay and Castro. You know, I mean, it, let's say Bay ends up as the second baseman, or even if Castro does, the other one's on the bench along with Mar- Marcano. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I get that. The, the catcher position, I think, is the most interesting thing to me. I mean, if Andy Rodriguez makes it so that there's no way that you can deny him, you would think he would go with Hedges, right? Or do you think that it's pretty much a given that they might hold him back a little bit? I mean, I, I think they're going to hold him back a little bit. Derek Shelton made those comments, you know, the whole way back, you know. In, but I hate those comments. Run. I don't want to accept I, I, those comments. Yeah, I don't want to make those comments either, and I, I didn't like those comments. But I mean, looking at it, the more I look at it, Chris, I, I think it's just because if if this was a different position, I think I've said this on the show. I think I've written about it. Is just that if this was a different position other than catcher, I think you could take you know take some of the lumps defensively that he you know, may experience at second base or in the outfield or at first base or wherever he would be. But when you have somebody like in charge of, of such a young pitching staff, and especially if like, I don't know if hedges went down, God forbid, because he brings so much defensively. Cause I will say the one thing I love about hedges is he is working the base runners. Once they get on base to kind of help his pitchers out because you know, with the new rule changes, they can't step off as much. I've seen him throw down to second base, throw down to first base and stuff to keep runners closer to the bag for his pitchers, which I, I have absolutely loved. But going back to... Well, no, no, no. Andy, Before you go into that, I, I that sparked something that I saw this week in a spring training game or in a highlight. And, and it kind of, it backs up what you're saying, that you want to have guys that are experienced defensively behind the dish this year. You know, it's not two pickoff throws over. It's two disengagements. Yeah. So... I watched I watched in a spring training game. I was flipping through to different ones. I can't remember which team I was watching. I was just flipping through to different matchups, you know, wasting time here at my, my desktop. <laughs> and I come across a game where there's a guy on third base and the base runner is purposely coming down the third base line and he comes down far enough that the pitcher takes his foot off the rubber and the umpire goes disengagement. So if the third baseman can mess with the pitcher enough, you don't even need to throw over to first. You get two disengagements, and now the guy on first can take second. You know, yeah. remember in little league when you learn that thing? If you get first and third, and it'd be like, well, if I go for second and the catcher can't get me, that or if he throws down, maybe my guy can get the timing down and and he can steal home because the ball's got to go from the catcher to second base and back to home. There's a new strategy now on first and third where if you can antagonize the pitcher enough, 
and the battery is not working very well with each other, a pitcher could get rattled enough that he uses up his disengagements while they're still early in the count. And now you get the big lead over at first base and, and mayhem could ensue. And, and runners are going to be able to run up from first to second, and you got second and third a lot more often when you started off the count at first and third. Uh, it, it struck me as the strategy that can come out of this, and the catcher really needs to be alert. He really needs to be paying attention to it. Communication is so key in this entire thing because of what can happen now in the base bats. Smart teams are going to take advantage of those rules. Yeah, and, and that's for why I would think that, I mean, it's going to be weird in AAA because they're going to have the uh, the automated strike zone. Uh, so a player coming up from AAA to the majors, unless they're being, you know, just basically do whatever you were going to do, no matter what it was going to be, you know, without or with the automated strike zone. Because when you go up to the majors, at least this year, you're not going to have it. But for me, it's, it's the... Like I said, all these new rule changes and, and having... And think about that. Hold on. Think about that. That means that if there's an automated strike zone, the catcher is no longer concerned with framing the pitch, right? So now yeah. he can position himself as the pitch is coming more so to be ready to pop and throw than to receive the pitch. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to worry about glove position as it comes in. So a pitch, a catcher in AAA will find himself leaning more towards what's going on in the base paths and then come to the majors and not, and, and won't be performing in the same way as if, I mean, that's what, that's the real problem with that rule being in AAA and not being up at the majors, you know? I mean, I, 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 I'm, and I'm so torn on that too, because I really do enjoy the the uh, the pitch clock. I know people hate it, but I, I love it. I think they're all going to get used to the pitch clock and games are going to move a little bit quicker. And what's going to happen is you know, you're going to see far more vendors walking up and down aisles and you're going to see uh, you're going to see teams start saying, you know what? Keep beer open an extra inning because they're all going to start losing money because of how fast the game is going. Oh, right. You're not going to waste as much money at the ballpark. Watch them try to counteract that and make ballpark accommodations even better for the fan. And, and like your experience, I think may get a little, I mean, I heard a comment the other day during a broadcast, like from, from two radio uh, announcers, again, flipping around. I like listening to radio in different towns and stuff because I was a radio announcer and I like flipping around and listening to games and, and the MLB product, I hate the blackouts, but, you know, but I mean, it, it, it does allow you to kind of check out everybody in major league baseball. And they were talking about how they can't get through a story now. Because the game moves so fast. <laughs> so now they actually have to broadcast. I mean, think about that. Think about how, like, all the solo guys, like Vin Scully used to sit up there and just talk to himself, right? But then yeah. we got into this thing. Harry Carey used to sit by himself. There's lots of guys. Jack Brickhouse used to sit by himself. Lots of lots of announcers in the old days sat by themselves, right? And then you brought in another guy because the game got so slow, he needed somebody to talk to. Well, now the poor color guy. He's never getting a word in if you're calling the game because the game is moving so quickly. So, I mean, there's something about that that's fascinating to me. I know people, not everybody loves the pitch clock thing, but I think if they get used to it, it's going to be amazing for game experience. Except for the thing that I saw the other day where it was a a nothing-nothing count and both the batter and the pitcher weren't ready and umpire Doug Eddings 
charged them each, one with a ball and one with a strike, and the count started at one and one. And my question was, well, what happens when there's a full count and they both aren't ready on time? So there's problems. It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to watch, Chris. And, and just going back, like as a prediction right now, I think it's going to be Hedges and Ploiecki because once Endy has gotten some more experience, you would want one of those veteran guys up there. And at some point in time, a guy's either going to get injured, not perform, traded because a team could be looking for a backup catcher moving towards the playoffs in, you know, an uh, Austin Hedges. So I'm fine with, with Andy being down there. I think his bat's ready. I just think that even if you play him in multiple positions, I mean, first base is pretty full right now. Second base is a place he could possibly slide into outfields a little bit. And to tell you the truth, I mean, he's gotten like maybe 200 plus innings in double a and triple a catching. I'm going to see him this year though. Right. I'm going to see him get up to the majors this year though. Right. Yeah, okay. well, I would I would assume so, but I don't know if it's going to be for as long as everybody thinks it's going to be for. I mean, I think Good. everybody thinks that once it gets past the Super I want you to be negative about him playing regularly for the Pirates and trade him to me for my fantasy baseball team. All right? Trade's on the way. Look at it right now. You don't believe in it, I believe it. Send him to my team. <laughs>